Filthy Henry, Accidental Legend, Chapter 21. Cahill felt like he was at an intervention, the sort that had no fancy biscuits, a pot of cold tea and a bunch of people constantly saying this was a safe place. In reality it was a safe place for the people giving the intervention. The receiver was torn down and shown all their faults in an attempt at scaring them back onto the straight and narrow. The furniture in the room had been rearranged, as it invariably was for these events, into a circular layout so that all eyes could be on him. Filthy Henry had grabbed the back of Cahill's chair, somehow managing to pin him to it, and dragged it across the floor. He positioned the chair directly in front of the empty fireplace. Then the fairy detective walked over to the sofa and sat down on the centre cushion. Filthy Henry was lined up directly in front of Cahill, staring at him. A cold sweat broke out on Cahill's neck. Something primal, buried deep in his mind, whispered to him. It told him that the immediate future was not going to be pleasant. The inner voice failed to offer any way to avoid the unpleasantness, however. This made him question just whose side the voice was on. He smiled nervously. Don't do that, Filthy Henry said, waving his left hand in the air. Smiling's not going to make this go any better for you. At all. Cahill stopped smiling, cautiously eyeing the door out of the room and working out the best path for escape. And don't do that either. He pointed his open right hand at the door and snapped his fingers quickly. Doris Gargatapa. There was a sudden rush of air in the room, despite no open windows, and the door slammed shut. Mammy Cullen gasped in surprise, staring at the door, then eased back into her seat while keeping an eye on Filthy Henry. Cahill slowly looked around at the faces all currently staring at him, stopping when his gaze reached Alice. She was not looking at him, but had her attention fixed on the toes of her shoes. In this group, it seemed, there was not one single person that could be leveraged as an ally. The bleakest of scenarios had managed to get bleaker with more bleakness on the way. Shall we begin? Filthy Henry said, leaning forward and resting his elbows on his knees so that he could clasp his hands before him. Bearing in mind that right now I'm thinking up a nasty spell. I told you, Mammy Cullen said, resting the baby on her knees so that he was able to look up at her. You should never have ignored tradition. Tradition's important. Ah, oh, ma, will you shut up? Cahill said, rubbing at his temples. I'm in this poxy situation because of tradition. Hey, don't talk to your mother like that, Filthy Henry said. Exactly. Show some respect, Mammy Cullen said. Hey, hang on, you shut up as well, the fairy detective snapped, cutting her off. I've got less than two days to figure out a way of fixing this mess, and I don't need everyone throwing their two cents in. First I find out that the bull has been sold, then this. Now, Cahill, if that's your real name, explain. Cahill stared at his mother and was stunned to see her remain completely silent. In all his years alive, nobody had ever made Mammy Cullen stop talking when she wanted to speak up. My name is Cahill Ulysses Cullen, Cahill said. I come from a long line of Cullens where every single male has always been called Cahill, but gone by their middle name instead. 
At the moment, I'm something of an oddity in the family tree. Yeah, in more ways than one, Filthy Henry said. Shelley leaned over the sofa and slapped him on the back of the head. It looked painfully hard. Just shut up and listen, she told him. First of all, Cole continued, I'm the only male Cullen, going back as far as the very first Cullen on record, to ever have a brother. Secondly, as my dear old ma is fond of pointing out, I'm the first one to insist people call me Cahill and not Ulysses. The Ulysses, Drew said. Like the book? Cahill nodded. I know, right? How come I couldn't have been called Ulton instead? At least that doesn't sound like a pompous name. It's a name you can actually use in the real world without getting a dirty look every time you introduce yourself. Usually the names were alternated so that father and son had different ones. Because the tradition also made the middle name always be either Ulton or Ulysses. But dear old dad wanted to have Ulysses Jr. Hence me going by Cahill as soon as I had the chance. Even though it broke his father's heart, Mommy Cullen muttered under her breath, in a way that all mothers could so that everyone in the room heard what she said. Well, can you blame me? Cahill said. In fact, if you think about it really, Dad broke the tradition first. I should have been called Ulton, and that bubbling fart in the baby chair would have been Ulysses Jr. Filthy Henry shrugged. You're talking to a person who's called Filthy Henry. You really want me to give a monkeys about your middle name? Now, moving on, what's the deal with this? He pointed towards the baby. He has a name, Mammy Cullen said, batting Filthy Henry's hand away from her precious bundle of joy. You're right. That's the bloody problem. He's the same name as this string of misery on the seat in front of us. Of course he does, Mammy Cullen said. Didn't you just hear my firstborn? Every male in the Cullen family is called Cahill, but goes by their middle name. This is Ulton. Filthy Henry closed his eyes tightly and started to rub his forehead. So I'm guessing Pa Cullen passed away shortly after this baby appeared. Sadly, yes, Mammy Cullen said, looking down at the baby's face while she spoke. We never even planned for a second one. After all, once you have a boy, the Cullens don't really bother with any more kids. Or if they do, it always ends up being girls. But along came little Ulton. She gently rubbed the child's cheek and smiled as he made a cooing noise up at her. So then what do we do? Drew asked when nobody had spoken for a minute or two. We were sent to find Cahill Cullen, and we spent time with the wrong one. Filthy Henry let out a long breath and leaned back into the sofa, resting his head on the cushioned back. He stared up at the ceiling. This is the problem with fairy tales. In them, the hero of the hour is always the right age and ready to fight the dragon with little help from his friends. They never write a story where the hero is still crapping into a nappy and unable to keep his head upright without some adult supervision. We've literally been shafted by fate here, because technically the hero who's meant to stop Maeve is here. He just happens to be spewing up milk on his mother's jeans. Oh, Ulton, Mammy Cullen said, tilting the baby to the left, so that he could continue to puke on the floor and not on her clothes. Alice rose from her seat and went over to the pram, rummaging around in the baby changing bag. Cahill had started to feel a little invisible in the room. Nobody had spoken to him, given out to him, or looked at him for a while. All the attention was on the burbling bundle of innocence cradled in his mother's arms. Now that the name thing had been brought up and resolved, it seemed that he had been given an out from his entire situation. One that Cahill was going to grab tightly with both hands before running to the nearest pub for some liquid refreshment. 
a course of action that was hardly likely to win him Best Big Brother of the Year award. But his thirst slightly outweighed any guilt he felt at that moment. What was the point of going into a fight to the death when it was not your death the fight was about? Well then, problem solved, he said. We send Olsen to fight Maeve and her lot. Hope she isn't a total heartless wench and tries to kill a baby and job done. Since language became a common form of communication, there's always been somebody who said something stupid at a certain moment. Generally when this happened, all the less stupid people within earshot would stare at the dumb person, pondering just how daft the speaker truly was. Cahill had never experienced this himself, since most of the time when he said something stupid, there was a keg of drink in him. In such moments, remembering things was secondary to staying upright. Now, however, in the cold light of sobriety, he could take it all in. Slowly, as if a signal had been given which everyone else could hear, all eyes turned and focused on Cahill. Even his little brother somehow managed to move his chubby-cheeked face in Cahill's direction. We're not sending a baby into battle, Filthy Henry said, shaking his head. Dagda above. I'm a bit of a jackass, but even I know you can't do that. Cahill, eager to change the subject, held up his empty hands. I don't see what the problem is. Who would try and kill a baby? You'd have to be truly evil to even think about that. Filthy Henry stood up and stuck his hands into his trouser pockets. Look, technically you are still Cahill Cullen, the person we were sent here to find. You're a descendant of Coo Cullen, whether you believe it or not. If I've learned anything in the last 60 years of working with the fairy world, it's that loopholes are aplenty, and I'm an expert in exploiting them. We've got a hero, and we've got a plan. We're just going to stick to it. All we need to do is set the traps, catch seven fighters, prevent them from killing you, and job done. Simple. Oh, well when you put it like that, Cahill said. Less your lip, Filthy Henry said, turning and pointing a finger directly at Cahill. Besides, I shook hands with the crone, magically sealing the deal. Right now that means you've definitely got to be the one Maeve's men face. Leave figuring out how to fit that inside the rules to me. Everyone else get to work. We need rope, wood, nails. Anything that we can use to set up traps in the forest. I'm not going to let something as small as a dirty nappy be the reason the bad guys win and the world ends. Olton farted, then gurgled with joy. Speaking of dirty nappies, Mammy Cullen said. Maeve looked at the five men as they stood in an orderly manner outside the hovel. Trug sat on the bonnet of the car, Noll beside him leaning against the driver door. None of the men in front of her seemed to show any spark of greatness. There was a distinct lack of teeth amongst the men, an indication that they had at least been involved in some brawls during their lives. None of them were anything to look at physically. Muscles didn't bulge beneath sleeves, and the only sign of something popping out on two of the men was their belts as their large bellies sought to be set free. But in their eyes Maeve saw that dark flicker, the one real fighters always had, the sign that violence was not just something to get involved in, but a thing to be enjoyed. Not that this mattered in the grand scheme of things. These men were needed purely to make up the numbers. If they had been poorly animated human husks that could take a beating and keep on going, then that would have been just as good. Better even, because there would have been no need for idle chit-chat. The crone stepped out from her hovel, 
eyed the line of men that walked over and stood beside Maeve. Is this them? she asked the Queen. Of course it is, Maeve said. What do you think happened? A bunch of men just randomly decided to show up at your door because they heard about your stunning beauty or something. One of the men shuddered. Lauren shot the man an annoyed look. The man held up his hands, making a cross with two of his fingers, and spat on the ground. Don't you go making any advances on me, he said. We've all heard about the Chrome McGarry. Well, you've a reputation, it seems, Maeve said to Lauren, smirking. Not the sort that this bloody moron's implying, she said. Danny, the apparent leader of the group, smiled at the crone. Ladies, ain't a man to give a crap about who does who, Danny said. Mickey told us you have some work that needs fists and a face to be introduced to each other. We're here to talk about the contract, terms of payment, which we generally like in money and not other kinds of favours. Although for you, tall and grumpy, I could make an exception. Maeve made a mental note to kill Danny first, then bring him back from the dead and kill him a few dozen times more. Right, Maeve said, looking down at the crone. Do the spell stuff on these guys. I don't really care who you put in their heads, just as long as they're from my army. Lauren frowned. What? Yeah, what she said, Danny said, stepping away from the line of men. What are you talking about? Nobody said anything about her doing some voodoo on us. We're just here to fight and get paid, and if the mood takes you, you and I'll head for an old drink afterwards. Silence, Maeve shouted at the man. What do you mean, what? I want you to do the same spell you performed on Nall and Trug. I need these men to be my men. The crone shook her head. I can't do anything of the sort. These two Muppets you've had woken up from the long sleep are the limits of that spell. If I want two different people to occupy any of these, for want of a better word, men, then you need to release Nall and Trug. Nall shut upright and stepped in front of Maeve. Let's not be too hasty here, he said. I mean, who do you need to put into these guys anyway? None of the other warriors from the army were nearly as loyal to you as myself and Trug. No point in ending our time served to bring back somebody useless, like Fatty Phil or No Thumbs. Who? Maeve said. Ah, it doesn't matter. The point is, you need seven people to go and beat the snot out of some guy who looks like a sneeze would knock him out. You've got that. These five lads and your two most loyal henchmen. Maeve looked at the line of men again. You told me nothing modern could cross the line of the spell once the battle starts, Maeve said to the crone. That you figured Nall and True might just go back to inhabiting their old bodies. True, Lauren said, nodding. But I've done a little more reading on it. It looks like the spell was designed for a very specific purpose. A do-over should be done within the same criteria as the original event. The men should have no problem being in the field when combat starts. All we have to do is give them some of the potion from the cauldron. It's been bubbling away in there since the last battle. Oh, Maeve said slightly surprised. So then what exactly does the spell prevent us from doing again? Guns are modern weapons, the crone said. We can't arm the men with weapons that didn't exist at the time. The spell would prevent the weapons from entering the field. But lucky for you, however, I did some scrying and discovered that most of your army's swords are nearby. It looks like you've got yourself a little team of diggers just in time. The queen smiled. That works for me. Now, 
I want to know something else about these limitations. I want you to go and figure out what time combat can start. More importantly, how long will the no-show before I can be declared winner by default? If I had to follow the rules, then you could be damn sure I'll do so to the letter. I take it I can't just send these seven men to steal the bull now. The crone shook her head. Not unless you want to risk them all being wiped out in the attempt. Then find me every possible advantage you can if we stick to the rules. I'm done playing games. Drew gently knocked on Shelley's bedroom door and waited. He could hear movement on the other side. The sound of something being slammed closed and finally the thud of an object hitting the ground. All of this non-verbal communication gave him very little information as to whether or not Shelley was actually in the room. For all the druid knew, he could have been listening to the world's loudest thief as they ransacked the place. Drew waited five more seconds then gently wrapped his knuckles on the door once again. It was open so quickly that the druid was surprised it remained on its hinges. I heard you the first bloody time, Shelley said, glaring at him. Just inside the doorway, resting against the wall, was a closed suitcase. Are you going somewhere? Drew asked. Shelley glanced down at the suitcase, then back to the druid. She narrowed her eyes in the manner that Drew had become accustomed to right before she punched him. He took a precautionary step backwards. What do you want? Shelley said, her tone cold. Just the trap stuff. Uh, materials and the like, the druid said, taking a further subtle step back. Filthy Henry's been getting rope, nails and wood and stuff for the past few hours. I was wondering if you'd found anything worth using. Shelley shook her head once. Nothing. I've searched this room from top to bottom. That's what you heard when you knocked the first time. The sound of me moving things around as I searched for bits and bobs that could be used to make traps. Drew stared at her blankly. Uh, this is the part where you say, sure thing, Shelley, and forget that you saw a suitcase packed and ready. The druid nodded quickly. Uh, sure thing, Shelley. Look, I just wanted to check if you're okay. Shelley held up her hand, motioning for him to stop talking. Don't even bother. I'm not going to talk about the fact that I've done a Lazarus without being aware of it. Not now and certainly not with you. Understand? Drew nodded once more, not waiting for a prompt this time. It seemed the safer course of action. Shelley stepped out of the room and closed the door tightly behind her. What's the plan? Uh, we all get whatever we have and we go and set some traps, Drew said. It seems that the great and wise fairy defective doesn't want to waste any time. Given that he's trying to do the honourable thing now, and not send a baby into battle with a bunch of grown men. Shelley laughed. Funny how he comes over all honourable when it suits him, she said. Plus, let's try to make that stupid defective thing catch on. Right, let's get going. I'm pairing up with you, got it? She pushed past him and headed towards the stairs. Uh, what do you mean you're pairing up with me? Stopping halfway down, Shelley looked back up at the druid. He's going to make us work in teams. I'm not spending any time with that jerk if I don't have to. Meaning you and me are going to be partners in the trap setting until this whole thing is over. Any questions? A few sprang to Drew the Druid's mind. Most of them involved asking if there was any way Shelley might reconsider her choice and work with Cahill instead. Not that he had any sort of future sight, but Drew figured working with Shelley in her current mood was going to be as much fun as playing hide-and-go-seek at a funeral.
maybe even slightly less than that. Well, goody gumdrops, Shelley said when the druid didn't respond, her voice heavy with sarcasm. See you outside, teammate. Drew watched her walk down the rest of the stairs and out the front door. Once the druid was sure Shelley was no longer within earshot, he let out a long sigh and cursed whatever gods were listening. Filthy Henry, Accidental Legend is a novel by Derek Power. More Filthy Henry novels are available to buy on Amazon Kindle. Narration and music by Niall Milton. To keep up to date with episodes this season, why not subscribe or like or share? We'd really appreciate it.